Hey everyone, welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast. My name is Jason Houtsma, and with me today is no one. Daniel is not here uh, because the internet seems to hate us. <laughs> we spent so much of yesterday trying to put together an intro, and it just wasn't happening because everything kept choking up on us. So we are working out that for next week. Hopefully we'll have that squared away. But in the meantime, we have a great interview for you today. We have Mr. Doug Gould of worshipmd.com. Doug trains sound engineers all over the country. He travels like crazy. He's a representative for a number of different companies, but really his heart is around training volunteers, people who work in church, to be able to really run sound effectively. You know, we had uh, Jeff Sandstrom a couple weeks ago talking more about heart for sound engineers and for musicians. And in this one, we're going to go more into some technical detail. And uh, he is just a great interview, a great time. It's the first time I actually got to meet him. And man, it was like, he was like my instant friend. He's such a great dude. So without further ado, uh, Mr. Doug Gould. Doug, well, real quick, before we dive in, why don't you just tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, and okay. you know, tell me about Worship MD. What does a worship medical doctor do? Yeah. Give me the rundown. Okay. Well, first off, Worship MD doesn't stand for a doctor. I, I, I know. <laughs> it stands for market development. And the, the way I got that title was when I was at Sure Microphones for seven years, I was the U.S. market development manager. But I was also a worship leader. I'm also a tech. I've been in the music industry for I don't know how many years. I was regional sales manager for Tascam. I worked for Emu Systems. I was a Harmon rep in New England. I worked at a music store. I played in rock bands till I was 30. Then I got saved. Had to get a real job. Went to the <laughs> store, and it just went up from there. I have no college degree. All the stuff that I teach is about practical, applicational stuff that you can learn in easy to digest little pieces. I'm not heavy on math or physics. It's all practical. Mm -hmm. But with Sure, they let me go into the areas of market development that I wanted to go in. They didn't restrict me. And I said the church has the greatest opportunities for teaching people about microphones, mixing, in-ear monitoring, all that stuff, because they're hungry to learn. And there's lots of places where they congregate that I can like piggyback on and teach audio. I remember the first conferences I did for Sure back in 2002, there was nobody teaching audio at any of these things, Worship Institute, uh, seminars for worship maybe a little bit, some of those early conferences, mm -hmm. Maranatha. But I went to Worship Institute, which had about 3,000 people at it, and I was the only audio company there. Wow. People just swamped on me. And then I looked on the horizon for places that I could, like, crash their party, if you will. Hey, you're teaching worship and music. Why don't you teach something to the guys who are actually going to reinforce that or support that? Right. And then I made my way that way. For seven years at Sure, they let me go to as many worship conferences as I wanted to go to. And then after seven years, which in Scripture is a year of completion, <laughs> it was over. They said, you're done. You're making too much money. My travel budget was too much. And I still had 25 events left to do in the year that Sure wasn't going to fulfill. Mm -hmm. They call up all these conferences, tell them you're not coming. I said, okay. So I called them all up and they said, Doug, we didn't care about sure. We wanted you to come and teach. Is there any way you can get here? <laughs> and almost as soon as they said that, the phone rang from Audio Technica, another microphone company. And they said, how can we work together? We can't hire you full time. But is there a way we can partner? And I had been thinking about this idea of getting multiple companies to kind of share the cost of what it would take for me to do these things. 
before you know it, PreSonus, Avium, Korg, a whole bunch of other companies came alongside of me and subsidized my missionary training to, uh, to volunteers and churches. So I've been doing it for nine years now. Some have left, some have come. Uh, right now, my clients still include Audio-Technica, PreSonus, MyMix, Martin Guitars, RME, so a bunch of music tech companies and now an instrument company, one of the best guitars on the planet, is now helping me to uh, to go out and spread the word. So well, that's that's good news because I, I for one am a am a Martin man. I play a triple O, uh, the Eric Clapton model. And you it love is, me already now. You you've just said it. I'm gone. <laughs> it, is, it is it is the it is the best guitar I have ever played by far. Like I my, I took my wife down to uh, to Dusty Strings, which is down in Seattle. Just walls of callings and and just all these high end stuff. And you know, I'm like, hey, I need you know, I need to get a guitar. My other guitar had gotten stolen. I had I played an Alvarez Yari for a long time, and and uh, and I was, I'd needed I'd already been looking to upgrade, you know. And at first, I, I probably shouldn't say this. At first, I was looking at Taylor's because it was like Taylor was like the church guitar like that's where I played and you just saw their stuff everywhere and I was like well I guess and you know they were at the time they were they were really touting their expression system like we've launched this expression system and and so I was looking at them all and I was like man nothing's really grabbing me and then I picked up that that Eric Clapton model that triple O 28 EC is what it's called and even my wife who had just heard me play all these guitars who's not like she likes music, but she's not a musician in any way. And she was like, "Oh, that one," you know. She pointed out, and so I, if it, I, that that thing's had holes punched in the side of it, it, the front top of it cracked last year. Got that all fixed up. It still sounds amazing. Get the Willie Nelson guitar. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm working on it. I am working on it. It's funny because you know I'm more of an artist relations capacity for them. I I don't even play guitar. Mm. I'm a keyboard player, and Martin Guitars wants my connection. So. I think I've been with them for three or four months now. The first connection I gave him was Hillsong Worship, who were all Martin guys. Yeah. But they wanted to bring them over from Sydney. So we loaned them four guitars, one for Ben Fielding, a D41. Jad Gillies had a D41. And then this other guy wanted to look at a, a Triple O and a John Mayer. We loaned them four. They they bought all four of them. <laughs> well, once, then, you, once you get them in their hands, it's so cruel to be like, I'm going to take that back now. We're going to be in L.A. doing a new record, and they wanted to borrow more, and I'm convinced they're going to buy all those. I got three out with Mercy Me. I got four out with Brothers McClurg. Abner Ramirez from Johnny Swim just bought a, a 0028 BS. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm making connections for them. And then every time I do a display or an exhibit or I'm teaching somewhere, they send 10 guitars to the event. That's awesome. I'm on stands, and people are just playing them. It's like bees on clover. I never had that kind of attention in my booth before. <laughs> Talking about you know an interface or a mixer. We didn't have a bunch of people standing around with, singing into microphones. <laughs> well, I love your story about Martin. And if you ever want anything, just let me know. And if you ever get back east, we'll go up to the factory in Nazareth, which isn't far from where you used to live. Oh, it's right I'm, near Eastern PA. I might right. just need to make a trip just for that. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. Okay, I got to be careful because if we don't if we don't yeah. redirect yeah. on the sound, I'm just going to talk to you about guitars for the next hour. Tomorrow or something, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but very cool. Well, um, okay, so okay, let me jump back to sound stuff. Uh, you're so likable, Doug. I just want to talk to you for a long time. Um, so okay, so so you've been going to all these different, you've been going to all these conferences. You're working with all these sound engineers. Um, 
you know, we talked to uh, to Jeff Sandstrom a couple just a couple weeks ago about just kind of some of the relational aspects of of growth for for sound engineers working with teams and everything. Tell me a little bit about the the um, the actual technical needs of of those guys because a lot of times I feel like guys that come in to be a sound engineer, you know, either they got asked to do it or they're like. IT guys that are like, I like to turn knobs and people are like, oh, okay, you should run sound. What are some of the technical things that you look for when you go, man, you would make a great sound engineer? I'm looking for the kid who is, who's a musician who's not on the platform. Yet. That's where I start. Mm-hmm. So if I'm recruiting for my sound team, sound teams need help. They need help setting up, they need help striking, they need help putting stuff away. And I'm looking for the guitar player or the keyboard player or the singer who's not up with the team yet. He's still learning. But the reason I'm looking for him is he's already listening to music. He already knows how music is supposed to sound. Mm-hmm. It's much easier for me to teach a musician how to be technical. The art is first, then the science, rather than taking a scientist or an IT engineer, as you said, and try to teach him how to love music. Most of these guys don't listen to music all the time. In fact, some of them don't even like it. But they have <laughs> soldering iron, and they know how to read a meter, but their, music's, their, their, their mixes are so sterile they don't sound musical. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for musicians first. Now, if I have an IT engineer who loves music, then we have a shot at teaching them how to mix musically. But there's a difference between mi- mixing technically and musically. There's, there's got to be a knowledge of the system and how to use it. But you want to hear it here first, not just twiddle knobs until you come on something by accident that you think sounds good. Mm-hmm. So... Hear it here first, and then we're going to apply it. I think that's first. Listen to lots of music. When you're a guitar player, you can practice at home. What's an engineer do at home to practice? Does he have a sound system at his house? Maybe he gets a home recording little setup, some software, mm-hmm. learns how to mix and compress and EQ with a little program with speakers or headphones like you're wearing, mm-hmm. and apply it, or just listen to music. What's a good mix from a bad mix? Why does this one sound better and this one doesn't? Some churches have four sound engineers with the same band. And every mix is different week to week, even though it's the same band. Mm-hmm. So you want to try to find some way to make those guys fit a mix that's maybe compromised for some to a large degree. But maybe this needs to be tweaked. But now the congregation isn't subjected to wild swings of mixes every week. Yeah. You have to spend some time. The worship leader really has to be involved with the tech and maybe listen. To, there's a lot of mixers now that will record your services, and you can play them back midweek. Go back in the church with the worship leader, all the techs, hit the tracks and say, Johnny, you mix. Timmy, you mix. And you listen to each other, and you come up with ways that are consistent. Oh, that's, so That's a great idea. So, um, so I know for myself, because I actually went at the, well, the last church that I worked at before the one that I was at this one, you know, I I was just out of college. I played a ton, and uh, and then I was at this new church, and they were like, "Great, that's awesome that you play. Can you start on the soundboard?" And so I didn't know anything about like sound engineering at all, but I knew I had the sense of okay, that you know, drums should kind of sit over here and bass should be over here, or whatever. But like looking at a for a guy that played guitar for you know 15 years, trying to I guess back then it was only like six or seven, but anyway. Yeah, uh, it adds up. It's going way too fast for me. Um, you know, I looked at I, I looked at the board and I'm like, okay, slide these faders this way. And I'm like, 
this is still just a mess. And then I'm looking at the EQs and I'm terrified because you can make things sound so great with EQ or you can ruin them, you know? And it's first you're like, oh, let me notch this little frequency out of the kick. Well, now it sounds like a basketball. Ah, how do I, where do you, is there kind of a baseline to start when you're sitting down at a board? You kind of go, hey, this, these are some of the common things, you know, like, hey, you're going to want to notch this out of this instrument, add a little bit of this into this instrument on like as a starting point and then tweak from there. Yeah. The starting point is first getting the gains right. A lot of people don't take the time to sound check the microphones to get the proper amount of input. Mm -hmm. So it's either not distorted or too soft when you're hearing electronic noise. Mm -hmm. I was in a church recently that didn't do a sound check for eight years. The band would get up and rehearse and that was what they called a sound check. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Then you're at a festival and it's one right after another and you have to look at the lights and the LEDs just to adjust the trims. But a lot of people are mixing wrong. They're using gains to mix with, tr trim, mm -hmm. not the fake. I, I would start them first by, if you're going to EQ anything, please don't touch the EQ. Move the microphone. Move the microphone an inch or two closer. That'll give you more bass. If you turn it off axis so it's not directly pointing at something, it'll soften the highs. But recording engineers will move a microphone an inch or two for an hour until they get the right sound. Mm -hmm. we, we just put them up willy-nilly, and then we try fixing it from the mixer. EQ is destructive. There's not one recording engineer I know that would ever touch an EQ before he's played with the microphones for a while. And if it doesn't, he'll change the mic. Unfortunately, churches don't have anything but SM58s typically to do everything with. Mm -hmm. Condensers, they don't have ribbons, they don't have any of that stuff. Start with the microphone placement. The right choice in the right place, that helps. Put somebody on the stage to move the microphone for you. The next thing I do is high-pass filter. That cuts the lows and lets the highs pass. I put a high pass filter on everything. And a lot of people don't put it on anything. They don't put it on the vocals. So you're getting all the rumble from the stage into the microphones. Singers standing in front of a kick drum. That kick drum's getting into that mic. So roll it out. Do you roll that out to a to a certain frequency usually, or do you just listen for it? Well, I listen for it and I also might look at a real-time analyzer, which is just a little graph you can get free on your iPhone right now. So let's say you have an alto female singer and she's singing. Have her sing her lowest note. Where does it show up on your RTA? 230 hertz maybe? Mm -hmm. So take the bypass filter right up to the bottom note of her range. Now you've got all of her range, but you don't have any of the other stuff on the stage that isn't in her range. The next thing I would do is level. Level, high pass, move the mics, high pass, level. And if you have a stereo system in your church, that's a lot easier for novice engineers to mix than trying to EQ something in a mono system. Because what I can do, I can keep the vocal, kick drum, bass guitar, snare drum all in the center, and everything else I can push to the side, and it opens up all the vocals so you can hear better. I don't have to EQ as much. Right. A lot of people don't try that because either they have a fan-shaped auditorium or they don't have a stereo system in the first place. But if you do, that's a good way to go by panning. Same thing with in-ear monitors. Why do musicians hear better with in-ears than with a wedge? Because they can pan things out. Mm -hmm. I can put things in a perspective where it's spaced in my... If God wanted you to hear in mono, he would have put an ear in the middle of <laughs> He gave you two, right? So those are the initial things. If somebody can't mix with level, with a high pass and moving the mics, then I don't want to start with EQ because that's going to get you in trouble. Right. You're seeing things too much that affects your gain structure. 
if you're going to do anything, look for what you said, offending frequencies and remove those and try to notch them out so they're pretty narrow so they don't leave a hole in your music. Mm-hmm. We don't even talk about compressors or anything for a long time till down the road. Uh, compressors are the scariest thing in the world to me because that's another thing that like can take something that sounds great or like decent and ruin it. I mean, I'd, I've been playing guitar now for, oh man, this is like 20, almost... Wow, almost 25 years. Okay, so. And you're only 26. Yeah, well, I look younger. It's because I can't grow a beard. If I could grow a beard, I'd be a lot older looking. But, you know, I turned 40. I'm coming up on 40 here. So, uh, but the thing that's funny is, is, you know, I didn't have a compressor at like, you know, I'd build boards, you know, pedal boards and stuff. And people would ask me, why don't you have a compressor on your board? And I was always just like, because that just could just ruin everything. But I finally actually just got a uh, I just got a Keeley Compressor Plus, which is beautiful because it has a blend knob, so I can wow. have just a little bit of compression, for, and it's you feel it rather than hear it, you know. But it's funny because it's just like yeah, I just things can sound so bad with a compressor, but they can also be magic, right? And yeah, I mean some compressors you don't even have to touch a knob; you just put something into it, it sounds better. Yeah. And if you're gonna start with compressors, we start. We don't like do thresholds all the way down and remove all the dynamic range of an instrument. But in a mix, it can really help to tighten things up. A lot of times I don't put a compressor on individual things. I'll put it on a group of things. Mm -hmm. Put the background vocalist in a group and put a compressor on the whole group. And it tends to blend them. Or put the drums in a group and compress the whole group of drums so it kind of tightens them up. Mm -hmm. Instead of a kick compressor, a snare compressor, or whatever, you know. Sometimes that's that's better. Well, and it seems like that would simplify it a little bit too, because you can kind of hear the whole thing rather than because, like Jeff was saying just a couple of weeks ago about how you know you have all these sound checks that just start with a kick drum and you're hearing just a kick drum by itself, and then the tom and like you're never hearing it all together. Right, it's it's one instrument. It's not all these individual instruments. The next thing I would do to teach somebody the next easiest thing to do is almost immediately when you organize your inputs, put them into groups as soon as you can. So if I've got eight drum mics, I don't want to adjust eight faders during a song to try to make it softer or louder. I'll never get the levels quite right from here to here. Mm-hmm. So I put them in a group, and now I've got one fader that does the drums. Background vocals, another fader. Key- guitars, keyboards, whatever it is. Try to group things that are like so you can mix with fewer faders. Mm-hmm. That's a frustration at a minimum. Even 16 channels is too much to mix with. You can imagine what 96 inputs would be like with Jeff Sandstrom, right? <laughs> so I can mix a whole show with two faders. I had an old, you know, Mackie mixer or something with left and right on it. Put the band in one, put the vocals in another. I can mix a whole show with two groups. <laughs> <laughs> and people just get frustrated when they have all these inputs to look at, oh, especially yeah. Here and you're not familiar with how things go, so wow, this is a lot to control here. Make it easy, simplify it. So you bring up uh, a you know a good point, but kind of simplifying things. You know, one of the things I noticed, uh, you know, in the in the conferences that I've gone to, right, um, everyone's trying to 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 sell you their thing, right, and so you have that you get overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, there's all these things, and I think I think churches have like system envy sometimes and they're like well this these guys use tracks and they have this and they got that and they all have like their own monitor mixes and you know in-ears and everything else 
what are some things that you look at and go, listen, if you want to do this thing, if you want to have a band that sounds good, you know, if you're going to start from scratch, no, most people don't get to, but let's just say that you could. What are the pieces that you're like, this is a must have for a decent sounding, a decent sounding set? And what are, and then start there and then maybe we can kind of talk about like, hey, these are some cool things that are fun to add, but like, don't, don't start, because you can spend forever on compressors and you might go, well, cool, but you probably need a board first. <laughs> no, you're right. I've been in so many churches where it's like, it's really hard to tell what they, the most important thing that they need is. They might have a great mix already, but the speakers are completely wrong. They're in the wrong place. The room has never been treated. So before any system goes into any sanctuary, you got to make sure that it's going to work in the room. You get like this, New Jersey has a lot of old liturgical churches, Catholic churches, uh, Presbyterian churches with wood and glass and pews. You put a rock band in there, man, you're going <laughs> to you're going to destroy something. Hmm. Right. So treat the room for what the culture of the church is now. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But you have to talk to people about what they're trying to do there and then figure it out. How many inputs do you need? Where do you want the speakers to cover? Because any sound system should give even coverage across the whole room. So maybe you're trying to do it all with two speakers. You should really have a back set under the balcony. You should have some front fills if you're underneath the array. Whatever it is, look at the room first, then evaluate. You only have this much budget? All right, well, let's, or let's do a mixer. Whatever you think is the most important thing to add next. Some churches don't have the budget to do the whole thing wholesale. Um, microphones are important. Churches are trying to do distant miking with SM58s, like I said, or dynamic mics. You need some condensers if you want the choir to sound right or the overheads on the drums to sound right. Wedges. That's the first thing I'd look to get rid of is wedges because that's going to affect the front of house sound. So if I can move toward in here, even if it's just a couple of people to start with, Get rid of the guitar amp on stage, put the guitar player on ears so you can hear an amp modeler or a stage, an amp that's isolated. Put the bass player direct. Put the vocalist. Maybe she's got her wedge left, but at least you've gotten rid of three or four wedges and some stage amps. And now that makes the thing. If you're going to get a new system, don't cheap out on the cables. I see guys with like a triple O 28 and an Avalon preamp, and they're using like a $5 guitar cable between them. It's you amazing how difference that the difference that makes. Right. So invest in cables, too. Make sure your speaker cables are correct. Make sure you're using the right connectors. The weakest link in the chain is going to affect the whole system. It will degrade the whole system no matter how much you spend on each component. I really love it when churches buy digital mixers that have recording capabilities because then the sound engineers have a way to practice midweek, to practice mixing. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is a that's the biggest thing for me for volunteers right now is the ability to record worship services, do virtual sound checks, um, which is was pretty much regulated to uh, relegated to the the consoles that were thirty grand a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Now you can get a mixer for a thousand dollars that does that. That's awesome. So, so does that make sense to you? What do all those things all those things kind of line up with what you're asking? Or oh yeah, there? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of it's hard to think about these things. I think a lot of times if you live outside that world, it's just this overwhelming like magic thing. Like, well, it sounded bad this week and it sounded good this week, and I don't know why, right? Um, and and it's easy to overthink. Like I was talking to Daniel, I've been working on recording, finding ways to just for myself 
like record my acoustic guitar and my vocal at the same time just to make some demos. But I want them to sound good, so I really hear how to, because I want to work on my voice. I want to work on how I dynamically do things. And, and anyway, and so it's amazing how in my head I can get about just the simplest, oh man, this I hear this one thing and it really bothers me. I mean, and you can get so psyched out over things. And so the more that we can kind of, rem- the more question that we can remove from it and be like, okay, let's get a baseline that's decent and hear some things. Let me ask you this. So you mentioned about like, you know, isolating amps. What are some things that that the the musicians on stage can do to help out the sound engineer? Because I feel like a lot of times, I mean, how many times have I been there in sound check and the guy's screwing with my amp and I'm like, oh, but now you just made it sound real bad. And I don't really trust you to do this. And so now I, I wait till we start and then I just turn that turn that master volume up a little bit, you know, which is not a good thing to do. I was I was a, I was a younger. I was young. I was stupid. But, you know, at the time, you know, sometimes I feel like the band is fighting against the sound engineer. What are some things sound wise that the band can do to make the sound engineer's job easier? That's that's really a good question. I teach a class called the prerequisite to a great mix is arranging the band. And when maybe not in bands you've been in or bigger churches where they have, you know, a lot of guys really know how to play and play well together. But a lot of churches volunteer worship teams. How often do they practice a week? 10 minutes before service? Maybe they do a midweek for an hour or two. But when they come to the rehearsal, how much of the time is actually rehearsing songs to make them sound better? Right. It's fleshing out parts because most of the time the worship leader is giving a chord chart with lyrics and chords on it, and everybody's just trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. They might have a record to have listened to or an MP3, planning center, whatever they're getting. A worship artistry but, tutorial. Worship artistry tutorial. <laughs> they're not, they might learn their part, but the part is not really, the part on the, on the record is not going to match what the band does. Because let's say you're trying to do a Hillsong United tune. How many guitars are on that thing? How many oh, keyboards? so many. <laughs> Three musicians. One plays a stump fiddle, one's got a clarinet, and the other guy's got an acoustic guitar. And you want to sound like, so do it your own way. If you have a big band that's good, three guitar players. What am I going to do with three guitar players as a sound guy if they're all in the same chord position, playing the same rhythm pattern? I'm going to tell two of them to shut up because <laughs> I can't fix that. And if I pull them out in the mix, their amps are on the stage, they're still filling the house. So I'd say be, be very cognizant of when to play, how to play. And the music director, worship leader, should be able to tell everybody what he wants them to play at each particular part of the song. When I was in concert band, I'm a good, I'm a good piano player, but I was a terrible trumpet player. So in concert bands, orchestras, you have charts, and it tells you specifically when to play and when not to, at what dynamic, at what tempo. So as being the worst trumpet player in the band, my music consisted of bars of rest. 32 bars. I'm counting. Here's my part. That was it. <laughs> so if I have this guitar player who's playing all the time, and I can't turn him down, I need the music director to tell him not to play in the first verse. Mm-hmm. So do simple arrangements. Intro, full band, first verse, 10,000 reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Acoustic guitar with vocal. Second verse, add a pad with a djembe. Chorus, full band. Give those notes to the, to the sound guy so he knows that I can mute all the mics when those guys aren't playing. It keeps the feedback reduced. 
It keeps the mix cleaner. My system's running better because I don't have all these open mics. And you communicate back and forth with each other. Worship leader to the band, worship leader to the sound guy. Record the service. Play it back for the whole team. See, what do you guys hear? Drums. Okay, what are we going to do about it? Put a shield around it? No, that's the wrong thing to do. Teach the drummer how to play. Mm -hmm. I'm connected with the band. Shields are the worst thing you can do. Don't get me me on shields. (laughs) Question on shields. I'll have to do part three just on shields. (laughs) Bring in a and I melt them down and make coasters for <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you say that because I I feel like I've spent so much time and it's like well we got to get a shield around the drums and I'm always like I I mean sound wise whatever I'm just sitting there going well that's that's lousy because now my friend who I want to engage with when we're playing music is now stuck in a cage. Yeah. Not letting you out till you behave. Right. You know. So you spent fifteen hundred bucks on shield. Fifteen hundred bucks pays for a lot of drum lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you invest in people instead of plexiglass? That's funny, yeah. So anyway, well, it's funny. I, the more that the team can connect and respect each other, you're never going to know what it sounds like front of house because you're on the stage. So to assume what it's going to sound like out there can only be proven by a recording, and not a not a multi track, just a little handheld like. Something like this little guy. Mm-hmm. Just put that in front of house, hit record, and now this becomes almost like the ears of a congregation member hearing what they're hearing in the room. Mm-hmm. And you can make some determination. Now you have a benchmark. Are we going to improve from here? Or are we going to stay the same or get worse? And there's not enough communication going on back and forth to prepare us for what's coming. Especially sound guy doesn't even get a list half the time. What songs are they doing today? I don't know. And they just start, right? <laughs> Oh, oh! It makes me so sad. It's it's funny because you you uh you say that you show that little recorder. We have that little recorder at my church, and uh and we were we were doing a new song, and so I I used it. Normally we just use it for the sermon, but I was like, oh, I want to hear how this goes, and I but I didn't have it plugged in, so it was just using the the little microphones. Well, I made the mistake of putting it right like right near my pastor, and so it was basically him just. Like I realized, man, he doesn't even know the words or the melodies to these songs because it was basically just him singing along. Just oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I showed it it's to like him. Audience mics on two particular spots. Yeah, and like you hear a lady talking about the wedding she went to yesterday. <laughs> you got to get them up a little. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, I, le- I learned that one the hard way. Uh, That's pretty good. Well, man, it's, you know, it's, it's funny, even that just you say that in terms of like arranging, you know, one of the things that we try and teach at Worship Artistry is we, we had to make a decision in the beginning when we were to do our music videos and it was like, okay, the song is going to play through. Well, gosh, guitar doesn't come in until, you know, the second chorus, you know, do I show the whole video and just sit there on the video? And we were like, yes, yes, we do. Because that needs to look normal. Like right. you need to be able to look at it and go, yes, obviously I wouldn't play during this part. I mean, we make, I take, cause we take songs and we arrange them into five piece arrangements so that when you have five guitar parts, you can go, well, no, these are the important ones. And you, this one's important on the bridge and this one is important on the chorus. So this is what you're going to play, you know? And I noticed with like Daniel's bass lessons, you know, at the end of it, we take our five parts, we put them together into like a practice mix. So, and this is where I get my little bit of mixing practice and I go, okay, how do I make this so you, you can hear all these instruments and just that. 
And it's it's funny because I always see like for example Daniel and Josh, you know, who does bass, and then Josh who does drums. You know, you can see their waveforms, and you're like, oh yeah, they don't come in until like Daniel almost never comes in until at least the first chorus. There are times when he's waiting halfway through the song, but when he hits, you're just like, oh, there it is. Yeah, it's so tasty. Right. If you listen to like really well-produced records, like Quincy Jones, for instance, you'll hear a song in like a Michael Jackson song or something, but you'll hear a sound come in and then it leaves. You might not ever hear that sound again in the record. Right. Always keeping you interested with things coming in and coming out to add different perspectives. And worship teams need to learn that to keep their congregations engaged. If you're doing the same thing every song, same dynamics, same instrumentation. Same, same, really same dotted eighth note delay on the guitar. <laughs> right. Same, you know, four on the floor, kick drum, you know. Right. Change up the percussion, change up the instrumentation. If you have two keyboard players, make sure they're doing different sounds. You have three guitar players, make sure one's capoed up, one's playing an acoustic, one. Put two different mics on their ramps. That'll immediately give you some different tonality. Mm -hmm. Pan him. Pan him as you see him from front of the house. He's left, he's right. I don't have to raise one up to, to identify it. They're just positioned correctly. There's lots of things like that. That uh, I was hired by a church to fix the sound guy, and it was actually the band's problem. It wasn't his. <laughs> they just sucked. And they, <laughs> there are de yeah, there are definitely uh, some euphemisms for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Man, Doug, that's awesome. How, how do I? How, okay, so, so how do people? How do people learn more from you? So you have worshipmd.com. How do they? How do they get more of your knowledge? Because I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can't wait to listen to this again because I'm gonna make notes about, like, just different things that you're saying. Uh, yeah. um, how, how can people? How can people reach you? How can they get a hold of you? You can go to my website, but another thing, you can go right to YouTube, and if you just type in Presonus Doug Gould. I've got 30 videos that are short called 30 Days of Worship Sound Tools. And they're just two to four minute little vignettes about what you can do this Sunday to make your sound better. Awesome. And they're really quick. There's another one that's an hour and a half long, if you have time to watch that. It's called Mixing the Church. And I did that with uh, John Mills, who used to be Chris Tomlin's front of house guy a long time ago. He's now mixing for Kenny Chesney. So he's he's gone into that world. But um, that's an hour and a half long, but it has 400,000 views on it. And I, I don't know, somebody probably watched it 350,000 times. But, you know, there's a lot of good information about sound checks and rehearsals and the relationship side starts first. You know, I always talk about that. Philippians 2, 1 to 11, if you just remember that, that others, people's, you should really be concerned more about other people's interests than your own. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as producers or worship leaders, we push everybody else to the side because we're so tunnel visioned on what we need to do. But you're always a pastor. You always have to remember that. And uh, if some kid's pulling on your shirt and says, Mr. Gould, I need to talk to you. And I go, not now. It's 10 minutes before the service. Get out of here, kid. Or do I say, I want to hear all your story. I'm right in the middle of something. I promise we'll talk about it when, when we're done. And we'll pray about it. And, and the kid's crying. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. The lights are more important than that? I certainly <sighs> hope not. <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's weird in the church because we have all these divisions between worship teams and tech teams. And it doesn't need to happen. It doesn't happen in the professional world. Mm -hmm. You want to be friends with the people you work with so that they do trust you. You talked about a guitar player being too loud before. 
But I could solve that problem, not technically, but relationally, if I know the guy. I've been hanging out with him. Say, Timmy, your guitar amp's a little bit too loud today. Can you do me a favor? He'll turn it down. Okay. But if I go and go, your amp's too loud, and I don't know you, what's going to happen? You're going to turn it up because the guy's a jerk. <laughs> it's amazing how that the hackles get up, like how quickly it happens, right? Just like like you take it per like how many times has somebody gotten to turn you down and you take it personally? You're just like, oh. yeah, it's <laughs> my baby you're talking about. That's my tone, man. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, the one that always kills me is when is uh is hey, you need to tune, you know, you need you, and it's like, <gasps> like, like no, it's not, it's not. I'm saying you're playing bad. I'm just saying you're out of tune. You can't sound good. Nobody can sound good with that. I was in a band with a guy with perfect pitch. It was a nightmare. Oh gosh, that'd be horrible. <laughs> it's your keyboard, you're hitting, you're hitting the note. He goes, that's flat. I go, that's flat. It's a digital keyboard. It's A440. <laughs> no man, it's off. <laughs> like maybe your pitch isn't that perfect this <laughs> man man this guy's driving me crazy <laughs> awesome Doug uh, well thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while and so we'll uh, we'll have to we'll have to get you back again because I got I got all kinds of things I can ask you yeah you know who else I don't know you have vocals on Worship RSP too we are actually introducing them uh, in uh, hopefully September we've got a Somebody working on him right now. My wife is like one of the best vocal coaches in the country. So if you ever want to interview her, ask Daniel. She's done some things with him. I'm ready. And uh, I'm open to do whatever you want, man. So just give me a shout whenever. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time, Doug. We'll see you next time. Take care, bud. Man, how great is he? I could talk it to him forever. I don't know what it is about when we get the sound guys on here, but I just want to hang. I just want to learn stuff. Um so I'm not going to do member mail today because uh, I just assume you really just want to hear Daniel's South African accent answer you. And so you don't just want my information and what I think. So uh, we're going to hold off on that. Guys, we have a couple episodes left before the end of the season and before the start of summer where we're really excited about a number of things that we have going on, uh, getting ready for the fall. Obviously, vocal lessons is super exciting for us. But if you want to take some of your summer and actually work on your skills, you can uh, head over to worshipartistry.com, sign up for a free account uh, where we have now, gosh, we have over 400 tutorials of songs, as well as a bunch of one-on-one lessons, as well as a ton of blog content and, uh, and a whole lot of podcasts as well if you missed any of these. So I hope you head over there and check that out. Um, all right, we'll see you guys next week. Daniel and I both together, and we have a great guest for you. We'll talk to you then.